God, what a, what a treat it is to uh, witness our children sing to us and sing to you and read from your scriptures. Um, God, your scripture is so clear, just how much you love these little kids, how much you long for them to know you and to follow you. And so, God, I pray that it was just a, a sweet moment of worship for us to hear those little voices uh, singing. And God, as we jump into your scripture and actually study this morning, your heart for children and your call upon the church to, to raise those children up, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to see and to understand the opportunity that is before us as a church with, with all these kids and all of the kids that you're gonna bring us in the future. And so God, I pray that as we look to your word this morning, uh, that your spirits would teach us and renew us, help us, God. And God, I pray that, Lord, we would leave here just with a renewed conviction and passion to see our children in this church grow up, not just to know about you, but to love you. Help us, Lord, in that. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so this morning, um, our goal, if you haven't already noticed, is to shine a light on how much we value our kids and discipling them and raising them up in the Lord and, and not just to teach them about God and not just to teach them the content of God's word, but to see our kids fall in love with God. Uh, this is the last part in a short sermon series that we've been in through the month of August where uh, we've been talking about the vision of Grace Hill and what we believe God is calling us to focus on over the next year. It's a sermon series we're calling, Your Joy is My Joy. And we got that phrase from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. Because the Apostle Paul says that what motivates him to serve the churches in the way that he does is because he finds his own joy in the joy of the people he's serving. He has a your joy is my joy attitude and motivation. And we've been praying through this series that God would give us that type of motivation. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how as a church, we're gonna focus on going deep in the gospel together and caring well for one another. And we prayed that and asked God if he would give us a your joy is my joy attitude when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then last week we talked about how as a church we're going to love our town together and that asking God, God, would you give us a, a your, their joy actually is, is our joy type of attitude in this church. And this morning we're going to talk about how God is calling us to raise up the next generation of Christ followers and ask God, would he give us a your joy is my joy attitude when it comes to our children. So remember, we kicked off this series talking about how as a church, we're a family. And that as family members, each of us take ownership for the health and the joy of our family, of this body. And that means that all of us have a part to play when it comes to raising up the next generation of Christ followers. This message is not just for the parents in the room. This is a message that is for 
all of us because we all have a part to play in the joy of those little ones that just led us in worship on this stage. And this is a profoundly biblical mandate on us. That's what I hope to accomplish this morning is to show you in the Bible how much God cares about us raising up these kids to know him and to love him. And God's very clear in the scriptures that he's just not wanting us to raise our kids knowing about him, but he wants us to raise our kids knowing what he has done to save them. That there was a time where we were lost and we were dead, but God did a mighty work and he saved us and made us alive and free. God wants us to constantly tell that story. Right, as humanity, we tell a lot of stories of rescue. If you've ever experienced a rescue, that's probably a story you repeat over and over and over again to people. And that's what God wants us to do with our kids, is repeat this story of rescue. Uh, when I was a kid growing up here uh, in Herndon, um, we had some next door neighbors and they had a kid named uh, Keenan. And uh, Keenan had a rat tail. And um, now, you know, our house is backed up to these woods, and we, you know, when the warm months, we were always in the woods building forts and all of those things in the woods. And, you know, Keenan was a few, older, a few years older than me, and, you know, we would argue and fight every once in a while. And so one day, we were in the middle of this argument. We were fighting. And so I told Keenan, you know what, I'm going to run into the woods. I'm going to tear down your fort. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, watch me. And so I started running into the woods, and Kenan's running after me, screaming at me. And then all of a sudden, everything went dark for me, okay? I was out. The next thing I knew, I was in the arms of my neighbor, uh, Jim, who had come and grabbed me. See, Kenan, as he was running after me, he has, he has great aim, and he was going to defend his fort. And so he picked up a rock, and he just lobbed that thing and uh, got me right in my head, and I was out. And I was gone. It took me right out. Now, my next door neighbor, Jim, heard this go down from two houses over. And he runs, hopping two fences without even touching them to, to grab me up and take me back to my house. Because we had to go to the hospital and get all stitched up and all of that. Because it's, it's hard to get past getting hit in the rock from far away. And when we look back at this story, we actually laugh. It was a different era then. We were still friends with that family next door. We didn't sue them or get mad at them. I was going to take his fort out, all right? So he had to defend it. But when we talk about this story, we laugh because we laugh about Jim. How he heard it from two houses over. and My mom witnessed hopping fences to come and get me, trying to figure out what is happening. And how he scooped me up. So when we tell this story, we tell it laughing because of what we saw Jim do. This is stories we tell all the time. The books that we consume or the shows or movies, they're, they're usually stories of rescue. Stories of someone stepping up and helping somebody out. And God wants his story of rescue to be one of those that we tell with excitement and one of those where we say, you've got to hear what God did. This is how God wants us to raise our kids. And I want you to see this in the Bible. The book of Genesis is all about the beginnings of the nation of Israel. And then we get to the book of Exodus. 
And in the book of Exodus, we see Israel come under the enslavement of the Egyptians. And then this epic story of what God did to rescue them from their slavery. He, he rose up Moses to lead them and he put the 10 plagues to break the will of Pharaoh. And then as Israel was escaping Egypt and the Egyptian army was chasing them, God split the Red Sea in two so Israel could cross the sea and then he put it back down on top of the Egyptian army. And then God led them through the wilderness, giving them food and water and providing for them and protecting them. And then he gave them his word at Mount Sinai. He spoke to them and he made a covenant with Israel. He said, listen, I am going to lead you to a promised land, to, to a land where you will live freely and you can serve me, where you will not be under the slavery of Egypt. And so we get Leviticus and Numbers and we read about this journey to the promised land and Israel finally arrives at the shores of the Jordan River getting ready to cross over into the promised land to finally see God's promise to them be fulfilled. And, and before they cross the Jordan River, Moses stands up to preach a sermon. And Moses preaches this sermon about how God is calling Israel to live when they are in the promised land. Be like, okay, you're gonna have your own land, you're gonna be free, and you are going to live worshiping and serving me. So Moses preaches this sermon on how they're gonna do that. That sermon is the book of Deuteronomy. It's a summary of the covenant that God made with Israel, a reminder of how they are to live. And so, Moses is preaching, and I want you to see what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Okay, look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 4 to 9 and then 20 to 24. Scripture says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Greatest commandment. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I want you to talk about me all the time. Skip to verse 20. When your son or daughter asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you that you're talking about all the time? Then you shall say to your son or daughter, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from here that he might bring us in to the promised land and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. Why? For our good. Always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. God is saying, 
I want you to constantly talk about me. I want you to put it on your house, on your doorpost, you know, put little decorative, you know, signs on your walls. I want my word, I want it to be everywhere. I want it to remind everyone of me. And when your son and your daughter comes to you asking, hey, what does that mean? Why do we follow that? Why would we obey that? I want you to tell them the epic story of how I rescued you from slavery in Egypt and brought you to the promised land. And the reason I want you to tell this story is because they will know that the reason I give you these commands is because I love you and I'm after your good and my rescue of you proves it. And so Israel enters the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. Moses wasn't allowed to go in. They had to fight a lot of battles. They had to push a lot of nations out. And then they had to divvy up the promised land to the 12 tribes of Israel. And and there came a point when Joshua released all of the 12 tribes to, to go settle into their portion of the promised land. They finally had it. It was time to live worshiping and serving the Lord. It was a new era for the nation of Israel. Time to live out Deuteronomy. Let's see what happened. If you go to the book of Judges, chapter 2, I'm just going to read a few verses, verses uh, 6 to 13. It says, when Joshua dismissed the people, The people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. So they're going to the promised land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. Look at verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They didn't know the story. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, false gods, And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods. From among the gods of the peoples who were around them, bowed down to them, and they provoked the anger of the Lord. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the false gods. Obviously, the generation that went into the promised land with Joshua for the most part, live their lives worshiping and serving God. Our text does say that this morning. But they didn't do everything that God commanded them to do. Namely, raise up the next generation to know God and what he had done to save them. They didn't disciple their kids. And the consequences were, was dire. I mean, they fell away. They didn't know about God and they followed all of the false gods. And here's the saddest part. While they forgot to disciple their kids, the culture around them didn't forget to disciple them. The nations around them and all the other false gods, they didn't forget to disciple that, those kids. Their parents did. 
Israel did. And those kids grew up following the false gods of the culture around them and not the God of the Bible. See, God calls us to raise up our kids, not just with the knowledge of God, but within all of God, because we have been faithful to teach them about what he has done to save us. See, in our scripture this morning, I don't think we just read about the mandate that we have on us as Christ followers to raise up the next generation. I think we also are told how we are to go about raising up the next generation of Christ followers. And I want to talk about this this morning because there is a way that God wants us to raise up our kids with the knowledge of God. And then there are damaging, maybe even abusive ways to raise up our kids knowing about God. And our two texts this morning from Deuteronomy and Judges will help us to understand how God wants us to do this. When our kids are young... They are like sponges, right? Their brains are developing. They see everything. Yeah, you, have you ever had that experience where your kid says something they shouldn't have said and then you realize they just heard you say it, right? They're just taking everything in. They're storing it. And they have deep trust of the parents and of all the other adults in their life. And so when we teach them about God at a very young age, that information will usually stick and they will trust what we have to say to them. But we all know they'll grow up. They'll become independent. And they'll have to decide one day if the information that we gave them about God is something that they accept for themselves or not. Doubt will come. The world will challenge their beliefs. They're going to encounter evil and suffering one day and have to decide, do I believe in a God who is both good and sovereign? They're going to get persecuted for their faith. And they're going to have to decide, is it worth it to keep following this, this God that I was taught growing up? And the question is, when the doubt comes, and it will, will they have a love for God in their heart that is stronger than the doubt? Or we have just indoctrinated our kids with information instead of forming a love for God in them. And when the doubt comes, there's nothing to anchor them down in their faith. Statistically speaking, seven out of 10 kids will stop attending church once they leave their parents' house. And we're seeing a massive increase of Gen Xers and millennials who grew up in the church now referring to themselves as religiously unaffiliated. And I really believe that these statistics are the fruit of the Christian indoctrination rather than a formation of the love of God. We need to understand the difference between indoctrinating our kids and forming a love of God in our kids. This is what indoctrination is. The dictionary defines indoctrination as teaching a person to accept the set of beliefs uncritically. Indoctrination is teaching our kids what they should believe. And because they are our kids, they normally will accept what they are told to believe without any sort of challenge, right? And because we're teaching our kids these things, because they're meaningful to us, like we believe this and we want our kids to know this, because we're teaching them that, we're delighted when they regurgitate it. 
And we love that, right? And that's good. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but as our kids hit the teenage years, what can, be, what can become the anchor for them to hold on to these beliefs? It could be guilt. This feeling that I have to believe these things. And it would be wrong for me to believe anything else. And when guilt drives your beliefs and your behavior, you don't allow yourself any room or space to wrestle with those beliefs. And what happens is those beliefs stay in the head and they never sink down to the heart. But the heart is where our true self is. That's where our actual beliefs are our actual desires. And if those beliefs never sink down, then there's different beliefs in there that have just been suppressed. The head will override the heart until they move out of mom and dad's house. And they encounter a world that gives them permission to question what they believe. They actually encounter a world that tells them they should question what they believe. And just like the children in the book of Judges, the culture around them, man, they'll be ready with all kinds of false gods and false beliefs to tug at their heart, to win them over, to show them something better than what they were indoctrinated to believe. When the doubt comes, what we told them to believe may not be enough. So, Our job is not to indoctrinate our kids. Our job is to form a love of God in the hearts of our kids. So how do we do that? All right, well, I have have three things I think we need to do to to form a love of God in the hearts of our kids. But, But first, let me just say this, that the desire of many parents and churches who indoctrinate their kids, it's a good desire. They genuinely want to teach the kids the Bible. The problem is, is that the teaching isn't substantiated by the three things I'm about to tell you, okay? And so it's implied that the job in all of us, for all of us when it comes to raising up the next generation is to teach them the faith. So don't hear me say anything against teaching them God's word and what to believe. That's good. We should do that. It has to be substantiated by what I'm about to tell you. All right? So how do we form a love of God in the hearts of our kids? So here's number one. God's commands must be connected to God's saving work. Always. Every single time. When we teach our kids about what God has commanded us, And how God has called us to live our lives, we must connect these commands to God's saving work. This is so important because it is this that literally distinguishes our faith from every other faith and false God in the world. While we were sinners, God came after us and saved us. Just like he made a way to rescue the nation of Israel from their slavery to Egypt, God has made a way to rescue us from our slavery to sin through his son, Jesus. God sees us in our state of misery, rescues us, and by his grace and by his strength, and then he tells us how to live in that order. And we know that this is for our good precisely because God did save us. This is crystal clear in the passage in Deuteronomy we studied. In verses 20 to 24, let me, let me read it again just because it's, 
it's so good. Just got to turn there. Where it says, when your son or daughter asks you, what's the meaning of all these commands and testimonies and these rules? But why do we follow these things? 21, then you shall say to them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with the mighty hand and the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. This is a pattern that repeats itself in scripture all the time. It's grace-motivated obedience. You don't see merit-motivated obedience, threats-motivated obedience. No, it's grace-motivated obedience. You see this in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. All right, this, this summarizes God's law, right? Ten Commandments. Look at Exodus 20, verses 1 to 3. This is God giving the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I have saved you. I have saved you out of the house of slavery. You are mine. I have rescued you. All right. Verse 3, you shall know other gods before me. I have saved you. And now for your good, here is how you are to live your life. He begins with his saving grace, and then he gives his commands. Our faith is not obey, and then you'll be accepted. It is we are accepted in Christ, therefore we obey. So when it comes to every other faith or human philosophy, it's all merit-based. Can you measure up? Are you good enough? Are you smart enough? Do you know enough? Are you worthy of whatever rewards the system is offering? And when we are teaching our kids about the word of God, and if we don't connect that with God's saving work and his grace, then listen, in the imaginations of our kids, right, they will paint a picture of God who's this authoritarian in the sky waiting for them to mess up. And that picture of God will not do when they move out. They won't have that picture of a loving father who would graciously save them and is raising them to live for their good always. So how do you do this? How do you connect God's commands with the saving works? Well, we literally follow the example of Deuteronomy. Every single time we teach our kids about God's commands, every single time, we say something like this. You know, there was a day when we rebelled against God. We were lost in our sin. We thought we knew better than God, but that really just brought us a lot of brokenness and sadness. But God rescued us from our sin with a mighty hand. He sent his son Jesus to take our punishment, to forgive us. And now we're no longer enemies with God, but he's now our father. We're in his family and he knows what's best. We're gonna be with him forever. I don't always understand his word. I don't always understand why we obey everything. But here's what I know because of what he has done for us, that it is for our good and our joy. We need to repeat that to our kids every time, even when they don't understand. And it's just when we get tired of saying it, when they're going to start hearing it. 
And we would have trained them to connect God's grace with God's commands. That God gives us his word because he loves us, not because he's some authoritarian waiting for us to mess up. And this is why at Grace Hill Kids, we are not just interested in teaching your kids about Bible stories and morals. It's why we use a gospel-centered curriculum that is designed to connect God's saving work with his commands. We want our kids to know that God's commands are a deep reflection of his love and affection for us. Number two, our kids must see us rely on God's saving work. Obviously, Deuteronomy and Judges put a huge emphasis on teaching our kids about what God has done to save us. And they have to see us rely on God's saving work. I don't know about you, but one thing I fear most about being a parent is saying something or doing something to one of my children that will really hurt them for a long time. You know, just being in ministry, I've counseled a lot of people that are working through ways their parents have hurt them years into their life. It's one of my greatest fears. But you know what? You know what the truth is? Cold, hard truth, parents, so sorry. We're going to. We're gonna hurt our kids. We're gonna fail them at some point. We're going to mess up. We're gonna say something that we should not say. We are going to sin against our kids. And in those moments, listen, we will prove to our kids if the saving work of the gospel is something we really believe. See, the gospel says that we need a savior. When we trust in Christ, we acknowledge our sin and agree that we need grace and we need mercy and forgiveness. And listen, when gospel people realize that they have hurt someone, they own it. They don't let pride get in the way. They don't cover it up. They don't make excuses. They don't blame shift. They own it and seek forgiveness. Listen, listen, one of the greatest gifts, parents, that you can give to your kids is to demonstrate what true, genuine, humble repentance is when we sin against them. So here's an example. You hurt your kid, sin against them, do something. Here's an example. This is to like my five-year-old, right? So you have to adjust this to the age of your kids, right? Hey, hey, hey. Hey, buddy, when, when daddy yelled at you and said those things, he was wrong. I sinned against God and I sinned against you. And it was not your fault. There is nothing that you will ever do to deserve what daddy just said. It's never okay for me to do that. And this is why I need God's grace and why I'm so thankful that Jesus went to the cross for me. And I know that God forgives me, but I need to, you to know that I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? That's humbling to do to your child. Whenever we sin against our kids and we demonstrate gospel-centered repentance to them, we show them that we rely on the very saving work of God that we're teaching them about. And the older your kids are, get, the more that they're going to be watching for this. 
And there may not be anything more powerful to form a love of God in the hearts of your kids than to experience how the gospel can heal wounds and reconcile conflict. And there may not be anything more damaging to the hearts of our kids to hear us proclaim the gospel with our mouth but refuse to live by it, especially when we sin against them. So parents, we're gonna sin against our kids. Oh, but this is an opportunity to show the power of Christ's saving work in our life. This goes for our marriages. Our kids are watching those. They're watching how we reconcile. Men, your kids are watching if you're gentle and caring and humble. This goes for church conflict. If we ever have stuff going on in here, our kids are watching how we handle this. Do we rely on the saving work to reconcile or is that just something we say? They're watching. Number three, our kids must experience a church where they are loved as Jesus loves us. All of our kids are in different places when it comes to their development and their behavior and their belief in God. And this needs to be a safe place where they are loved and welcomed and cherished and valued. So many kids have a church experience where they are told to sit, be quiet and behave. And their church experience becomes one of just trying to control their urges and not embarrass their parents. But we have an opportunity to serve our kids well by giving them our time and our attention, getting down on their level and and teaching them about God's saving work. Our kids need to be loved in the way that requires sacrifice on our part, the way Jesus loved us. So here at Grace Hill, we, we believe the person who's primarily responsible for discipling our kids is the parents, not, not the church. But the church is critical to our parents being successful. And we want to partner with our parents. And that's why our desire is to continue to build a a robust children's ministry, excuse me, here at Grace Hill Church, where all of us sacrifice our time as a way of loving and cherishing the next generation that God has entrusted to us. And so here at Grace Hill, God has entrusted to us a lot of kids. And that number is going to grow. And that means that our children's ministry requires a lot of volunteers on Sunday. And that's going to grow, right? So we're, we're hoping to grow our volunteer roster for Grace Hill Kids for a number of reasons. Uh, the first is because we want to start increasing the number of teachers we have in the room so we can give kids more time and attention and make it easier on the volunteers, We want to make sure that our volunteers are well-rested and not missing service so often so that when they go, they're well-prepared and ready to go to love these kids well. And we also, we're launching a junior high and senior high class in October, getting the youth group started up. So we're going to need more people involved in that. And so I sincerely believe that, that Grace Hill Kids and the youth program that's getting off the ground now is a, it's a special calling upon us as a church that's very near to the heart of God. And that he is looking to us to be faithful to raise up the next generation. And that what was written in the book of Judges would never be written of our church one day. 
And that's why I'm asking that every person that calls this church their church home, if they would pray about committing to serving in Grace Hill Kids, in addition to one other serving team that we have here. Our need is big, but the opportunity is even bigger and is close to the heart of God. And so to give you a, a glimpse into this opportunity uh, in serving Grace Hill Kids, uh, we prepared a video for you like we have done uh, some of our previous videos. So check this out real quick. lot of kids and we have been blessed with a lot of kids and I believe Grace Hill Church is going to grow off of the strength of our children's ministry. Grace Hill Kids is our discipleship program for our kids here at Grace Hill Church. We start at about ages six months in the nursery and it goes all the way up through middle school. Every week we bring them in, we do a time of worship, a time of celebrating who God is, as well as get good time studying God's word and learning about who Jesus is, how he lived, and training our kids uh, to learn more about him and to go out into their own lives, and whether that's their families or their schools, and share the love of Jesus with everybody. We have children that come from Christian homes and children that do not. And for some kids, this may be the most loving place that they are all week. Our goal in Grace Hill Kids is to provide a fun, safe environment for your kids to learn more about Jesus Christ. Grace Hill Kids is so important to us at Grace Hill Church because it is us raising up, investing in, and pouring into the next generation of believers. 10, 20, 30 years from now, these are going to be the leaders of our communities. These are going to be the people who, by God's grace, have come to faith and who are going to be carrying the gospel to their respective communities wherever the Lord leads them in their lives. We have such an opportunity to reach families by reaching the kids in the town of Herndon. We hope that Grace Hill can be somewhere where people's needs are actually met. We're different than just a charity or just an organization, but we are actually the hands and feet of Jesus for the town of Herndon. And we really feel like if we reach the children, we reach the families. We want the parents at Grace Hill to feel confident that in Grace Hill Kids, their children are safe and their children are going to be discipled in the Word of God. We want to have a kids ministry where our parents feel confident that their kids are being well taken care of, but we also want our parents to be excited that their kids are learning about who Jesus is. I have heard time and time again from multiple families that they came to Grace Hill Church because of a flyer or because of the website or because they talked to a friend, but they stayed because of their children's response to Grace Hill Kids. At Grace Hill Church, we take the call of raising up the next generation seriously. When we took our membership covenant, we vowed to help disciple these children, whether they are ours by blood or not. At Grace Hill Church, we are going to be a church that raises up the next generation. This is going to be something we are going to focus on and we're going to put a lot of time and energy into. And my hope and my desire is that everyone who calls Grace Hill Church their church home will see that they have a part to play in raising up our next generation. And so I hope you will pray about what role God is calling you to play at Grace Hill Kids here at Grace Hill Church. As a church body, we commit when a child is dedicated in this church to support the family in raising children who are followers of Jesus. 
the best way to do this is to invest in the lives of the kids. I grew up not wanting to go to church, you know, because I don't think I had that connection in my church. That's why I want to be a part of Grace Hill Kids. I want to be that small piece. I, I serve in the threes and fours, so if they can walk away with knowing a name, a place in the Bible, or an event, um, I'm winning. I just want to help build that foundation for our kids. Helping them grow in their relationship with the Lord will make a difference in them for the rest of their life. Grace Hill is my first church. It's the first church that I have attended on a regular basis or almost really at all. I didn't grow up in the church. For my kids, I think it's just really important that they have other Christian adults that they can go to for guidance, that they can learn from. It's just an opportunity for personally for myself to share the joy that I find in Jesus. Growing up, I didn't wasn't able to talk about Jesus. Um, I didn't have a church family that talk like Jesus the way you did growing up, so it's really exciting. It's sacrificial, but it's really important to raise um, the next generation of Jesus followers. It is true that if you serve in Graceful Kids on a Sunday morning that you're going to miss uh, our worship service because we only have one service on Sundays. But I don't want the mentality of our church to be that by serving in Graceful Kids, we are missing out on worship. It is an incredible act of worship to give up being able to worship with the broader church on a Sunday morning so that you can spend time discipling and loving these kids. It is an act of worship that brings honor and glory to our Lord Jesus. Please consider joining us in Grace Hill Kids. Um, it takes a huge effort every Sunday to make this a meaningful experience for our children and to make it a quality experience for our children. And in an effort to not have volunteer burnout, we are asking that you would please consider volunteering in some way, shape, or form. It's not scary. We're not gonna like bite you. We have uh, just incredible people who are working with our kids every Sunday and just care so deeply about what our kids do. And so we're just, we're just so thankful uh, for all of you that have served uh, in Grace Hill Kids so faithfully uh, with us here at Grace Hill. And so just to, just to summarize, how do we not just indoctrinate our kids, but form a love of God in their hearts? Well, we need to connect God's commands with his saving work. Our kids need to see us rely on his saving work. And our kids need to experience a church where they are deeply loved. All of us have a role to play in raising up the next generation to know and love God. And this is the kind of church we're going to be. We're going to be a church that invests heavily here. And I hope that all of us will just spend some time praying about how God is calling us to contribute. And so if you're interested in serving in Grace Hill Kids, if you're coming to our all-church family meeting tonight, you can mark that off on your commitment card, um, or you can also get in contact with Lisa, our kids' director. Um, her contact info uh, is in the bulletin, and she does a phenomenal job uh, leading our kids' ministry back there. And so I hope uh, that starting today, you'll spend some time praying about how God is calling you to be a part of us raising up the next generation. Let me pray for us. God, as we saw in the book of Judges, um, 
The consequences were so huge, God. Of that first generation of Israelites to go into the promised land, not prioritizing their kids. So God, I pray, Lord, that at Grace Hill, we would be a church that prioritizes our kids, that invests in them, that, that sees the opportunity to love them and care for them and teach them as something that deeply worships and glorifies your name. God, I'm so grateful for the endurance and the faithfulness of so many of our Grace Hill Kids volunteers over the last two years. And Lord, I pray that you would increase that number so that, Lord, we can continue to serve our kids uh, in a faithful way. And God, I do just wanna pray for the parents in the room who every day are investing in the lives of their kids. Lord, I pray you would give them encouragement. I pray, Lord, that they would know that, God, that they don't have to teach their kids every part of the Bible. They don't have to make their kids memorize all these scripture verses. They don't have to have all of this Bible knowledge. But that, God, that they just need to tell of your saving work. And they need to show their kids that they rely on that same saving work. Oh, God, it could be really just discouraging when we sin against our kids. But God, you're a God of redemption. And you can take those moments and you can turn them into something that's going to build a deep love for God in their hearts. So God, we're grateful for that. So God, I pray for the parents that they'd be encouraged this morning. And I also pray that us as a church would be faithful to come around them, to encourage them, to hold them up as they raise their kids. God, thank you for the kids that we have in this church. They are precious. And God, we will be faithful to raise them up, to love you. In Christ's name, amen.